Our guest today and personally speaking is Congressman Lee Zeldin, represents a congressional district in New York State, a popular guy who's now running for governor of New York. Please stay with us. Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Lasanti, and Congressman Lee Zeldin joins me now. Congressman Zeldin has represented New York's first congressional district since 2015, and he's running for governor of New York. Congressman Zeldin has received the endorsement from the New York State Republican Party. He faces a Republican primary challenge later this month. Congressman Zeldin is an Army veteran and served as a military intelligence officer as well as a prosecutor and military magistrate. He was deployed to Iraq in 2006 and still serves in the Army Reserves as a lieutenant colonel. Congressman Zeldin is married to Diana, and together they're the parents of twin daughters Ariana and Michaela. He's here with us to talk today about why he's running for governor of New York and the issues and values that matter the most to him. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking, Congressman Lee Zeldin. We're here with Congressman Lee Zeldin, who has been a guest on our program before. Congressman, I'm delighted to have you on. I'm also delighted to hear that you're running for governor in New York. But my, my to me, obvious question is this. We've got a pretty certain situation where by November, uh, the Democrats, after uh, going through horrible rise in inflation and uh, all sorts of mismanagement of every kind and, and way behind the polls, it's very, very likely that the Congress is going to switch teams and become dominated by the majority of Republicans. You are from a district that is uh, good for you. They love you out there. They've reelected you time and time again. Why, when your party is about to, I think, take over Congress, take the risk of running in this crazy one-party state of New York for governor. Why do you want to do that? Well, I feel like we're we're battling for the heart and soul of our country. We're also battling for the heart and soul of our state right now. And uh, this is bigger than me, all of this. Uh, what we're discussing here as far as the balance of power in Washington and the need for us to be tackling a lot of what, I, whether it's crime and public safety, the economy, freedom, borders, a lot of really important substantive issues that I believe are going in the wrong direction in DC. Right. right now up in Albany, here in New York, we're leading the whole country in population loss. Uh, mm -hmm. People are leaving the state because they're struggling to afford to survive here. They don't feel safe in New York. Uh, parents concerned about the quality of education for their kids. Uh, individuals who feel like the government is being restrictive. They uh, want to live life freer and they're heading elsewhere. Uh, so I believe that it was very important and it is very important for all of us to do everything in our power not just to be involved in these races for the House and the Senate mm -hmm. across America, uh, but right here at home, these statewide races, because we have one party Democratic rule. I don't like the direction of the state. I feel like this isn't rock bottom. It could get worse if we don't do our part to change things. 
Congressman, uh, you know, I, I have the, the joy of uh, celebrating the weddings of so many couples, hundreds every year. And I mention that because when I say to them in my meeting with the young couples who are engaged, you know, where will you live after the marriage? Uh, I'm hearing South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Arizona, any place but New York. And the answer is always for the same reason. It's too darn expensive to live in New York. In light of the uh, the welfare state that we have right now, which is uh, killing us tax-wise, what can you practically do to make it uh, more affordable to live in New York? Well, we have to bring the spending under control. When I was in the state Senate for all four years, there was a self-imposed 2% spending cap. Mm -hmm. That's certainly not what we're seeing now. The trajectory increasing spending is unsustainable and the taxes uh, have to keep going up in order to pay for it. And people are deciding that they're hitting their breaking point and fleeing because of the taxes, taxes on individuals and families, but also on businesses as well. And there's a lot of opportunity too. people uh, pay more to afford to survive here. Uh, we're, we're seeing policies enacted that restrict options for energy access. And meanwhile, we sit on the Marcellus and Utica shales in the southern tier and some other counties in the state. I believe that we can be safely extracting more of our own resources. Mm -hmm. There are pipeline applications in Albany collecting dust that should be uh, getting approved as opposed to being delayed and denied. When Amazon wants to come to New York and bring 25,000 good paying jobs, mm -hmm. we shouldn't be blocking that. And when Amazon chooses to bring uh, their headquarters instead to Virginia, there are other companies saying, why would I want to go there? You might treat me the same way that I just watched you treat Amazon. Mm -hmm. So there's so much that goes into us from the tax and spending side, the business climate, reducing the cost of living. And there are, are tons of practical solutions. And what I just shared, you know, it's from the, the way that you run state agencies and the culture being pro-business, uh, but also how you do your budgets and how you bring down costs. And uh, it, my example with the, the safe extraction of natural gas, that's just one of so many examples that I could I could use. Congressman Lee Zeldin is our guest. Congressman, uh, no doubt about it, uh, among my people, certainly uh, there is this uh, horror over the uh, violent crime and its increase. And the whole question of uh, bail reform, so-called putting criminals back on the street, is, is very frightening, very upsetting to people. But even though everyone agrees this is a horrible thing that's going on, uh, both the state assembly and the state senate leaders say, eh, we're going to basically leave it as is. What can you do when, let's, let's presume that you're elected governor, when you're running up against a state senate and an assembly who are saying, we don't care what you say, we're going to do what we're going to do the way we're going to do it, what can a Republican governor do to change the direction, for instance, of violent crime in our state? Well, I have a, a few different thoughts on that. One is, it's going to also be important how many state senators and state assemblymen get elected who agree with us. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, there's a supermajority in the assembly and senate. I believe that the supermajority is going to get broken. Okay. That's significant for purposes of my answer, because if there's a supermajority and I veto something that they want to do that's bad, that's pro- criminal and that would set back safety, they could just override my veto. But if we do what we need to with the state legislative elections, mm -hmm. then we'll be able to uh, have more leverage. There's leverage with the budget. There's but there's leverage with home rule messages, say a state legislator from New York City needs permission from Albany with a bill to allow New York City to be able to do something in, uh, specifically and they need the governor to sign off on it. 
well, we, we can have a meeting about some of the bills that you want me to sign off on. But as we're having this meeting, let's talk about some of these other bills that are collecting dust right now and not being debated and considered. Using your soapbox, going into districts for press mm -hmm. conferences and rallies and bringing earned media uh, informing voters, getting them more engaged, more active, moving public opinion. That's all part of this too. So there's there are many different leverage points with the strategy of what to do uh, over the first half of 2023, not just on day one or the first few months, but really that first few session, that first session. And uh, ultimately the biggest variable aside from the governor's race and deciding that election is also what the voters of New York choose in paying attention to and getting involved in their races for New York State Assembly and New York State Senate. For those uh, around the uh, country and the world who watch a program, listen to a program like this, uh, Congressman Zeldin, aside from being in Congress and the State Senate in New York, before that had the uh, privilege of uh, being in the armed forces and serving in Iraq. Um, in terms of the values that you have, Congressman, what did the time serving abroad, especially in Iraq, what did it do to make you the man that you are? A lot of who I am, what I am, is from my military upbringing. Mm -hmm. uh, in a way, it started when I was a little kid. I, my uncle was in the Marine Corps, and I learned values from watching him and others serve. We, uh, we see that with others in our country. We look up to parents and grandparents who served in World War II and Korea and Vietnam. I signed up for Army ROTC. I learned a lot about leadership. The Actually, the acronym for the seven Army values is leadership. Loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, personal courage. These aren't just words. We live them every day, whether we're in uniform or not, on duty or off. My time uh, in the military, actually just yesterday, I finished up my 19th year. It was 19 years ago yesterday that I got commissioned into the United States Army. Wow. And I, I would say that my entire experience, uh, four years on active duty, my five years in ROTC, and also all of my time in the Army Reserve since, and the people I've been surrounded by, the missions we've had, the lessons learned, the quality of people I've interacted with from all across uh, our entire country and different backgrounds, there's just so much positive positivity. Yeah. There's so much inspiration that I've gotten uh, that I find it very much and very well informing uh, my approach towards government. When uh, I got elected to Congress, uh, it's a, it was a very different reality today than it was as far as the number of veterans serving in Congress, mm -hmm. say, after World War II. It was almost 100%. After Vietnam, it was over three quarters. Wow. Now that number is less than one in five. And the okay. veteran experience, it does inform you and, and I believe make you a better elected official. And I would encourage any veteran out there who's thinking about continued public service to consider stepping up and running for office. Congressman Lee Zeldin is our guest. Congressman, uh, you are also a, a husband and a dad. Um, public service, uh, while it can be uh, viewed by some people as somehow glorious is actually a great sacrifice for many people, especially in family, to give up their uh, dad and their husband to public service. I'm just wondering, uh, how, how did your kids and your wife react to uh, no longer just offering to represent a, a district on Long Island, one congressional district, but to basically be responsible for this huge and immense and challenging New York State? Uh, were they on board and, and how in the world do they see 
family life and public service uh, serving each other side by side. Well, similarly to what you do, uh, or what I was just talking about with the military, it applies mm -hmm. to law enforcement, firefighters, and EMTs, and teachers, and healthcare workers, and more. When one person in the family serves, uh, yeah. the whole family is serving. And yeah. for my family, it's not just that I am all in with this campaign. My family is all in, and they were involved wow. in the decision, and there were a lot of discussions, and I try to involve them as much as possible. They're certainly invested in it. Uh, they have mm -hmm. been through many campaigns in the past, uh, even though this is a new race. To a certain extent, they knew what they were signing up for. It's important that when you're in elected office that you find balance, that you spend time with family, that you involve them, that you stay grounded, that you uh, pay attention to the quality of your home life, that you are involved in your uh, children's upbringing, involved in their education. Uh, and I would say it's important to stay healthy, to eat right, to exercise. Uh, you just have to find the right personal balance to be able to serve. And that's regardless of uh, whether it's if you're a leader in the, in the faith community or you're in the military or you're serving an elected office, uh, you have to have that personal balance. And for me, uh, my, my wife, my daughters, Michaela and Ariana, my wife's her name is Diana. Uh, for the three ladies in my life, uh, they're also all in and very involved and invested too. They, in a way, they're running as well for governor, even though their name's not on the ballot. Right, right, right. Uh, it's, it's personal. Uh, Congressman Selden is also obviously uh, from a family, and the family of origin matters so much. Merrill and David, your parents, what, what good did they give you? Uh, what lessons of life do you take from them? My mother's a retired teacher. My father was a small business owner who, uh, at first, before that, was uh, working for local government. My parents were divorced and remarried, and my stepfather is a retired state trooper. My stepmother ah. is a retired probation officer. <laughs> uh, I spent my week in a law enforcement household. I spent my weekend in another law enforcement household. Uh, I learned a lot about service. Uh, I... Uh, also, in a way, I might might say I learned a little bit about politics. You know, I'm, I might be five years old and I'm seeing parents with not as good of a relationship with each other as they did later on in life. Mm. And here I am mediating a uh, a source of friction between four adults. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then there's then there's the politics of uh, letting my father and stepmother know that my mother and stepfather were raising my uh, uh, my pay for the week, my allowance to you know two dollars and fifty cents, and then going to tell my mother and my stepfather that my father and stepmother were raising my allowance to two dollars and fifty cents. <laughs> if you time it right, if you do it at the same time, you can uh, score on both ends. <laughs> Um, so yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of lessons um, of, of of how to be a good husband, how to be a good father, yeah. how to be a good public servant, how to find purpose, how to define success in life. And my mm -hmm. father's parents were married for over seventy years before they passed away. If they lost wow. everything, if they had no home, if they had no friends, if they had nothing other than each other. They still would have had a big smile on their face, feeling like they've let that they've lived 
a perfect life. Uh, and that was because they found each other and because that marriage was so strong. Uh, so I, I have taken great inspiration from what I've encountered. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's not always been positive, uh, but you try to learn from everything that you see around you. Right, right, right. Congressman Lee Zeldin's our guest. He's a candidate for governor of New York State. He's a congressman from uh, Long Island, 1st Congressional District. Congressman, um, you know this is going to come up in the uh, election. Um, we have this terrible incidence of gun violence. When I was talking about it at my church this week, someone said at the back door, you know nothing's going to happen. The Republicans will stop any kind of gun control legislation. The Democrats will push for too much, and nothing gets resolved. We're in the state with a, a lot of violent crime. Um, I understand both perspectives on this thing, but do you have any idea on how we can find a middle ground to reduce the incidence of availability of guns to people who shouldn't have them? Well, I, I certainly know how to find common ground on these issues uh, there has to be a willingness to yeah. find common ground and sometimes I, i've seen this in politics through the years where it seems like some people would rather have the issue they campaign on than to actually solve it and I, i'm not saying that to pick on anyone uh or mm -hmm. use any specific examples all i'm saying is that prospectively as we go through the next five months it's a challenge to everybody to try to find common ground. And uh, we've seen it where, uh, even on this issue, where in 2017, there was a, a bill that passed through Congress called the Fixed Nicks Bill. Uh, Republicans and Democrats worked together on an improvement re related to the background check system. The Stop School Violence Act uh, became law after Parkland. You have to be willing to communicate with each other, talk to each other, not talk past each other. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you see the example of what happened in Buffalo, that shooter shouldn't have had access to any weapon at all. He threatened to shoot up a school. That's a felony. Yeah. Uh, when you look at what happened uh, in Texas, uh, I believe it shows a lot of lessons learned. Uh, yeah. For me, my personal opinion, and I know that there's some people who disagree with me out there, but I'm someone who's in favor of a single point of entry into a school. I am in favor of, of trained, armed school resource officers and improving the relationship with local law enforcement and making sure that faculty is better trained in how to respond. Uh, there's a lot that we can find common ground on. I will say that injected into this debate are people who uh, I believe don't want to find any common ground. And mm -hmm. I also feel like injected into this debate are some people who are trying to use the incident as an, or incidents as an yeah. opportunity to pass legislation that, have, that has nothing at all to do with the fact pattern of what we witnessed. And sometimes these bills are not well drafted. Maybe you mm -hmm. put a good name on it. Um, but there's just a, a flaw in how it's written. And just to give you one small example with regards to wherever anyone stands on the SAFE Act, and I don't support the uh, the SAFE Act that is the law in New York. Others who are listening might be uh, the strongest supporter out there. Mm -hmm. But one of the concerns that we had was that if you passed it, that you'd be targeting law-abiding citizens. We said that only law-abiding citizens would care if you're a criminal you can go out and legally obtain a rifle and then just modify it. Mm. The way the, the law was written, if you add a single feature to the rifle, a, a, a muzzle compressor, a flash suppressor, a, a pistol grip, a thumb grip, a collapsible buttstock, it didn't make the firearm more lethal. It made it look scarier. It might make it look more like a military um, rifle, but that didn't change the lethality of it. 
but by adding a single feature to it, New York state law says it's an assault rifle. Mm -hmm. And we said, listen, there's a problem because this is what's going to happen if you're a criminal. And that's actually what happened here yeah, with regards to the Buffalo shooting. And I say that just to just to add, even if it's one party Democrat rule and they can pass whatever they want without even having Republican votes, I think it's helpful to engage with Republicans who understand the issue, mm -hmm. because even if you don't get their vote at the end of the day uh, on the merit, they might have a really good point that should be considered to improve the law. And unfortunately, we're not seeing that in certain situations like in New York, where you know, I think with the one party supermajority that exists in the Assembly and Senate, we're about to see a bunch of bills passed without any Republican input. And, and I think that's a missed opportunity. Congressman Lee Zeldin is our guest. Congressman, you know that as the nominee of the party running for governor, one of the ways in which they're going to attack you is they're going to say, oh, you want to take away a woman's right to choose. Now, uh, you know and I know that New York State is already the capital of abortion in this country, inviting people from around the country to come have their abortions here, full nine-month right to abortion, state funding for, for abortion, and now Governor Hochul, insane in my mind, uh, especially embarrassing as a, a Catholic woman, says, let's find another $35 million in the state budget to pay for other people's abortions, especially if they come from out of state. What I'm getting at is, is how much abortion is enough? I mean, when I hear Albany under the supermajority talking about how can we create more opportunities for abortion, it sounds insane. It sounds outrageous. And I'm just wondering, do you have any insight into why uh, when there's so much abortion already, there are districts in New York State where, where abortions outnumber live births? Why this insanity embrace of more abortion, more termination of unborn children, uh, not a whole lot of money at all for working on placing kids for adoption instead? What feeds this insanity on the other side of the aisle? You know, there have been times where there have been debates between people who consider themselves to be pro-life and other people who consider themselves to be pro-choice. Yeah. And what's happening right now with the leverage, the levers of power is that you have people making these decisions who are, are it's beyond self-describing as pro-choice they're actually pro-abortion yeah and and they're they're concerned about an upcoming democratic party primary and they really want to get the endorsement of you know planned parenthood or or NARAL and, mm -hmm. and they fill out the questionnaire and they want a hundred percent score and by filling out this survey to get their 100 percent they're signing up for positions that actually a lot of people who consider themselves to be pro-choice right. disagree with. So I'm pro-life. And yeah. there are people out there who consider themselves to be pro-choice who are against late-term partial birth abortions. They're against non-doctors performing abortion. They're in yeah. favor of parental consent. They're in favor of informed consent. They feel like the state should be doing more to promote adoption. Mm -hmm. There's a long list of items that even people who consider themselves to be pro-choice yeah. identify with our position. Now, the reality is that if the draft opinion of the Supreme Court became uh, the, the final decision issued by these right. justices, the law today in New York is exactly the same as huh. when we wake up the day after that draft decision becomes final. Right. So when we hear from anybody in government 
who's trying to make it seem like the, the world is just going to collapse by that Supreme Court decision and that all of a sudden abortion is just instantly banned in New York. It's just so intellectually dishonest. Yeah. And, and they're trying to scare people. Congressman, I'm going to let you go in a moment. My last question would be this. Some people look around at our country and our state, and they're overwhelmed with uh, the challenges that we face, and they almost seem hopeless. The one thing about you that is striking to me in a, in a very Frank Capra-esque way is you seem to be a man of enormous hope, and you see the possibility where other people want to throw up their hands. Where is that in you, that sense of, uh, I'm not giving up on anything, we can do better, and I'm a man of hope? How come? If you aren't filled with hope and ideas and energy, and if you don't love our country, if you don't believe in what America is and what it stands for, if you don't want to do your part to improve the world around you and understand that there are causes greater than oneself, mm. don't run for office, please. Yeah. Stay away from elected office. Stay away from power. For me, I believe that public service is about serving the public. There are other people mm. who believe that public service is about being served by the public. Right. People don't want to be ruled by government. They want to be in charge of their government. Law-abiding citizens want to feel safe on their streets. They they want their, their kids to have a quality education in our schools. And mm. it's just unfortunately not the direction that we're heading right now. I believe that the solutions to our challenges are actually quite obvious. Mm -hmm. I believe that they're easy. This isn't a complicated moment where no one knows what to do. We know exactly what needs to get done. We just need the opportunity to do it. And I believe that our state and our country can be heading in a better direction than they're heading right now. I want to thank Congressman Lee Zeldin for being with us and personally speaking. He's done an amazing job in his own district as a congressman in many, many ways. Everyone agrees that if he wanted to run again, he could have been elected again and again. He's taking a great risk at personal sacrifice in a one-party state that's not his party to try to run for governor and to make a difference for the good. Uh, he is truly, for me, one of those examples of a, a, a profile and courage. I'm so glad that people like Lee Zeldin are in public service and recognize that the job of being in public service is to serve the public. Congressman, thank you for being a man of hope and for the sacrifices you've made and will continue to make. And thank you again for being with us. Thank you. It is an honor to be on with you. This program is made possible in part and sponsored by Bullion Shark, a leading rare coin dealer. Do you remember the Bible story of the widow's might? The widow's mite coin is the type of coin that circulated in the Holy Land and is mentioned twice in the Bible. It's now possible to have one of your very own. Bullion Shark, a well-known rare coin dealer, has a limited supply of these biblical coins, and each coin has been professionally certified. You can buy one or more of these rare coins for just $99 each. While supplies last, their number is 1-888-355-1587. And their website is www.bullionsharks.com. This 2,000-year-old unique coin is a piece of biblical history that also makes a perfect gift. Each coin comes with NGC certification to guarantee authenticity and a story card detailing the story behind the piece. You can own a piece of the biblical story that can be passed along to family members for generations to come. Once again, Bullion Shark's number is 1-888-355-1587, and their website is www.bullionsharks.com. What a great opportunity to own or to give as a gift the very coin mentioned in the Bible.
As we end today's program, I want to thank you all for being with us. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at personallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to watch this show or other shows in the past, go to YouTube and search under Personally Speaking with Monsignor Gemosanti. Please don't forget to click like and subscribe. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer, personally speaking. Our producer is Lisa Jandovitz. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.